uh, out of time. So hopefully you guys have brought your paper Bibles so that even without slides, you guys can uh, look along. We will be flipping through uh, not just chapter 21, but uh, up to chapter 23 also. Uh, so please keep the Bible open for you. Uh, also, just as a, a note, we, uh, clearly we're not going to be able to go through every single one of these laws in these three chapters uh, in much detail. Um, I'm going to leave that to our Bible studies, uh, so to come along to that. If you have particular questions, we might even uh, let you guys ask uh, the group and discuss what particular laws you find particularly um, spicy, uh, and then we can discuss that as a group together. Uh, but before we dig into this passage today, we're just going to go over an overview and pr- probably just uh, stay on the topic of slavery. Before we do that, how about I pray? Uh, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a God who shows us what kind of a God you are through your laws, through your instructions. And so, Father, as we might find some of these laws particularly confronting as we read them with our lenses today, we pray that by your Spirit, you would show us your goodness, how this even applies to us, how this is even relevant to us today. And we pray that these laws would even continue to transform us, to make us into your people today. In Jesus' name we pray. And so on that, let's just consider, what are your first thoughts as you heard me read out this chapter today? Anyone feeling a bit uncomfortable about these laws? No? Wow, everyone's super comfortable with these laws. So no one would hesitate to just show your friends, your colleagues at work, just how righteous and loving our God is by pointing them to Exodus 21, right? Wow, you guys are more advanced than I thought. Uh, Okay, so uh, I I said I I don't need to preach then, right? (laughs) Now, presumably, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you guys are just shy, uh, there are some questions about these texts, these laws, these instructions. Uh, for one thing, why is slavery a thing, right? Um, that doesn't sound right when it talks about God being such a loving God, like clearly, are, are we more advanced, are we more loving than God was back in Exodus? And what about this death penalty, right? For seemingly minor offenses, uh, disobeying your parents. Oh, death penalty, that sounds a bit harsh. Why the death penalty at all? Why, why don't you give them a chance? Lock him up in jail so that at least they have time to repent, right? Uh, in some of these passages, the, 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 the woman seems like they're being portrayed as lesser than men. They, they don't get the same rights, right? They get to be, they're not, they're not allowed to be set free, but men do. Uh, after six years, what's going on with that? Doesn't Jesus say, don't repay tooth for tooth, an eye for an eye? And yet in this passage, that's exactly what God is telling his people to do. What on earth is going on here? Or do you guys already know all the answers since you uh, are so familiar with this? Uh, Now, again, just as a disclaimer, we're not going to be able to cover all these questions, but hopefully we can start to take a feel, get a feel for what these laws are doing right? Why they stand out, why they're actually good. And then we can look at particular laws in our life groups in the coming weeks. Now, to just to start looking at some of these questions, the first thing that we need to see from this section is why? 
Why is God demanding his people do all these things? Why is God instructing his people to follow these laws? Well, the first reason comes from actually who God is, right? What kind of a God are they worshipping? So chapter 22, right, we didn't read this, but chapter 22, verse 23, if you do, and that is oppress, you know, the, the, the downtrodden, the, the vulnerable, if you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. Verse 24, my anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. Verse 27 of the same chapter, right? If you deprive those who don't have what they need, God says, what else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, again, cry out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Chapter 23, verse 7, have nothing to do with a false charge. A court setting, false charge. Do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. Right? Who is this God that is commanding his people to do all these things? This is a God who hears the cry of the oppressed. We saw that in Exodus 1, right? God heard the cries of his people as they were suffering, as they were being abused by the Egyptians. And God heard their cries. He had compassion and he brought acts of judgment to bring them out of that terrible situation. And this is a clear warning for God's people. You know what kind of a God I am. You experience what I did to those who abused you. And let's be clear. God is saying, I will hear the cries of anyone that you mistreat as well. Just like how I poured out my wrath on Egypt, so too will I pour out on you if you dare to treat other people like Egypt treated you. You must be holy, set apart, different for all the rest because of who God is, the God who saved you. Uh, but also, there's another reason why they must live this way. And it is because what they themselves have experienced, right, related to that. Because as Pete pointed out last week already, these laws don't come in a vacuum. It's not like, poof, these laws appear and it's like, you must do this. But there's an unfolding story going on. And so as we skim through particularly chapters 22 to 23, which we didn't read out, I'll just give you a few moments. As you skim through these chapters... Can you spot any clues, any reasons why their past will lead them to live these laws out? So just spend maybe, I'll give you 30 seconds, you can chat with the person next to you, but look through these laws. Can you spot anywhere that gives us a reason why their experience means that they have to live out these laws?
Okay, that wasn't very much time, I know. But did anyone spot anything? Did you find any clues as to the reason why they are to live this way? Anyone? Okay, how about uh, 22 verse 21? Anyone want to read up that for us? Yep, thanks, Alex. So, uh, in my translation, sojourner is foreigner, so someone who's like, just passing through, not, not belonging to the land that they're in. You know what it's like to be a foreigner, so don't mistreat or oppress them, okay? Again, verse chapter 23, verse 9, you yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners or sojourners because you were foreigners in Egypt. Again, repeating that same concept again, right? Verse 23, this is uh, chapter 23, sorry, this is in the context of why you should celebrate, why you should celebrate this festival. Verse 15, for in that month you came out of Egypt. So the, the broad context around all these laws is you know what it's like to be on the receiving end of bad treatment, of abuse, so you must not do the same as God's people. Now, we're going to look at some of these laws in particular soon and, and, and note um, how these miracles and wonders plays in, um, having free from oppression. Um, but it, we can actually also see this in the, in the structure because the verse uh, section that I read out, uh, chapter 21, what's that all about? What's the verse section about? Servants, yep, or slavery, yep. And so why was that significant, right? That's been their whole existence up to this point for the last 420 years or so, right? They were oppressed as slaves. They know what it's like to be suffering, to have been given no basic rights. You know, Israel, what it's like to be exploited for someone else's material gain. You know what it's like to have someone not value your life, your friend's life, your family's life, even the firstborn males or the males of your family, the babies. And so now God tells them, the very first place I want you to be holy, to be different, is how you do slavery, how you do servanthood. And so now is a good time to ask, is it so backwards here that God even allows slavery in Exodus? How can we Christians claim that God is just and compassionate when he doesn't ban slavery back then, you know, 3,000 or so years ago? And so let's just focus on this topic of slavery in this chapter to figure out what the message is behind these laws here. Uh, so just for starters, let's again skim through chapter 21. So go back to chapter 21. Uh, can you note anything here that would have been completely outrageous, anything that would be completely radical for them? What, what, what do you notice in chapter 21 when it, when it comes to slavery? Slaves go free. Why, why is that so impressive? Why is that so radical? Yeah, that's right. 
slaves, you buy a slave, that they're yours to keep forever. It's not a, it's not a rental agreement, right? But after six years, they have to let them go. Thanks, Isaac. Anything else? What else? Anyone spot anything? What about the what about the slave's family? Okay, so moving outside um, of slavery context, there is uh, a, a way that God's people must relate to their parents as well. Yep. Okay, sure. Okay, so even as a particularly in slave households, okay, so even slaves have to rep- respect their their uh, their parents. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Uh, but even the the life of their family have have to be treated with respect as well. Think about what that, what happened in Egypt, right? The sons are all murdered <laughs> in the River Nile. God's people. God says, "Your my people." can't be like that, right? The wife of a slave must go with him, right? It's not a, a two-for-one package where it's been discarded, you know, not, not when you buy the slave, so to speak, the wife doesn't belong to the master in the same way, right? Uh, so this is completely radical for this time, right? Uh, just look at uh, verse 26. An owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free to compensate for the eye, right? And so also for a tooth. Because we all know what happens when one human being thinks that another human being is their property and they, they can do whatever they want, right? We don't have to use our imagination to think of what happens. Uh, in the laws of the nations around Israel's uh, Israel's servants and slaves just didn't have any rights whatsoever. They were li- literally the property of their master, and the master could do whatever they wanted to them without any sort of legal consequence. And so you can imagine someone saying back then, well, every rich person I know owns slaves, and they do whatever they want with the slaves. Why do I have to compensate for the slave if I knock out its tooth, right? Come on. It's my property, Right? get out of here. God says, no, not my people. Now, these instructions, the really radical thing here, I don't know if you noticed, but there's actually a scenario pictured in in these laws where a servant declares, "I'm, I'm free to go, but I love my master and my wife so much, my wife and children love my master so much that I don't want to go free. Isn't that just completely crazy? Can you imagine a slave saying, I could go free, right, with a good golden handshake, but I, I love my master so much that I want to stay his slave for the rest of my life. But can, can you see just how radical that is? This is what God's picture of slavery is meant to be like. 
that even in slavery, God's redeemed people, they would, in that space, that would be a space for slaves to thrive and thrive and flourish. And so what we need to realize as we read these laws on slavery with our 21st century goggles is to realize just how radical, just how shocking this treatment of the slaves is being described here. But let's go back to the question that we asked before. Why doesn't God just get rid of slavery altogether? Well, let's think about this for um, us today. Uh, If a family today or even a single person in Australia went into financial hardship, Right? They've no more savings. They're going to get kicked out of their, their, their homes by the tenants. What, where would they go? What, 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 what would they do? Right? That's a non, not rhetorical. What would they do? In the street? Yep. Where, where can they go for help? Centelic Charities? Yep. So even if they have friends, you know, like they might stay at a friend's place for a while before, you know, their friends get sick of them. And then, but yeah, they've, we've got Centrelink. <laughs> Can you imagine the Israelite who has no money, they've got a family to, to feed, lining up at Centrelink for a payout? That's not going to happen back then. There was no institutionalized uh, welfare system. And so... In this context, slavery is actually the means by which people could provide for themselves and their family, right? And so because this arrangement has so much opportunity for abuse, God is saying, I am setting these laws now. This is how you are to do slavery, right? It's meant to love your neighbor. It's meant to love your fellow brothers and sisters. It's not meant for exploitation. It's not for abuse. And so we, we might even balk at the female servants I, I, I talked about here, because female servants are given particular attention here, because they cannot be sold to foreigners. They cannot be set free. They must be redeemed. Now, not being sold to foreigners, okay, I, okay that, that sounds okay, but they're not allowed to be set free. What? And, and that, that sounds like so unfair to us, right? But again, let's think about their context. In an ancient world, in fact, not even the ancient world, even just a couple of hundred years ago, right? What would happen to a woman if you told her, okay, you're free now. Here's your suitcase packed. I'll show you at the door and slam the door on her. What's going to happen to her? I don't think I need to paint that picture for you guys, right? And so what does God say his people must do? They must not just release these female slaves, dusting off their hands and, and sending them off in their vulnerable state, open to more you know, abuse and exploitation. No, it is their duty as masters of this female slave to make sure the female slave is taken care of, redeemed by a family member, it says, taken care of by way of marriage so that they have a means to support themselves, to be provided for. So again, can you see how radical, how life-giving these laws actually are in the context of the ancient Near East? There were no laws for females in, in the other nations around them. You could, you could kick them off and, and leave them on the street if you want. No big deal. Not so with God's people. And let's just think about the impact 
of someone living as God's people back then, right? Especially if you were, you know, wealthier, um, you, you, you were in a position where you could have a slave or a servant. Could you see how much of a temptation it would be to disregard, to ignore God's instructions here, right? Look at everyone else around us. Look at how they treat their slaves. They don't have to release them after six years. They don't have to compensate them if we injure them, right? You might consider your, your financial situation and say, you know what? It's really quite expensive, you know, to, to live God's way. Times are tough. We're, we're, we need to squeeze every last bit of value out of these slaves that we have here. Uh, do I really have to release them after six years? Maybe I'll just cover up that moment when I got too angry and I badly injured my slave. I mean, I bought them with my hard-earned money, right? No, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I'm just going to do what everyone else does. I don't want to be holy. I don't want to be different. And if I've worded what I've just said correctly, hopefully this sentiment might resonate with us even today. Because where else might we look at God's call for us to be radically different and then say to ourselves, yeah, nah, that's too radical. That comes at too much of a cost to me. Cost to my bottom line, cost to my comfort, cost to my convenience. Uh, Let me just give you an example. Um, I love a bargain, right? I remember walking through Kmart a while back and I saw some undies, a 10-pack of undies that were literally 10 times cheaper than another shop that sells it in a more ethically made manner, right? 10 times cheaper. But that other shop claims to actually pay their workers fairly. Decent working conditions, not exploiting young children, etc. But, oh, if I do the maths, even if these expensive ones last 10 times longer, then it's still better value to buy these super cheap ones. I mean, God, and I come up with excuses. Oh, God tells me I need to be a good steward of my money, right? God would want me not to spend frivolously, right? Um, Now, just a confession, I did end up buying the cheap undies (laughs) back then. But thinking through this passage this week, I I realized I, I should have thought about this a bit more right? Is buying expensive undies too radical a step for me to take in my holiness, right? Or maybe it's not even about saving money, right? Do I love a particular brand of clothing, sports shoe, or or tech gadget so much that choosing a different brand is too radical for me to consider, knowing what some of these companies are doing to make billions and billions of dollars to get you that latest features or the the latest fashion, right? Is that too costly for us to even consider when it comes to living radically for God? Where else in our lives will we say, well, everyone else does it. Why do I have to be different? Why do I have to miss out on this? Because I have to be different. And even like other stuff coming up, like the voice referendum, right? And I'm not going to tell you how to vote here, by the way. But the thing is, do we even care, right, about the issues at stake? Are we just going to go with whatever we feel like on the day because we have to do it? Or do we just do whatever we, everyone else around us is choosing because that's the fashionable thing to do? Or do we see that there is a group of people who are not being represented in our nation? And do we look into the issues 
and say, yes, this is good, or no, actually, this is not a good idea, right? Are we even there? Now, to be clear, I am not laying down a set of rules that we need to obey as Christians today, right? I'm not saying, don't buy Nike, uh, don't buy from this shop, don't get Apple. I'm, I'm not saying that, right? That's really missing the point. Because here is the deeper message of how God's law comes into view for us. Because these laws aren't meant to be a set of rigid do's and, to, and, and don't do's, right? We often view the law that way. But if you look at these laws, they're actually not meant to be like that. Uh, how many laws was it? 613 laws that Pete pointed out in, in the Old Testament? If you think about it, that's really not enough to cover every single scenario, right? What if it's not my bull that gores your family? What, what, what if it's my cow or my... I don't know, echidna. I don't know, right? <laughs> There's so many like little loopholes and, and little cracks, right? This, these laws, as many as they are, they're painting a picture, a picture of who God is, a picture of justice, of shalom that God's people are to live in. And it's a, a deeper heart issue. And what is at the heart of these laws in Exodus? What is so radical about these laws compared to all the nations around them? For one thing, these laws lift up the value and the dignity of man, right? It doesn't matter if you're a slave or a slave master, female or male. You have basic rights. You are to treat everyone with the same level of justice and care, particularly those who are marginalized, right? If, if there is one group of people that we see represented more in these laws, it's those who do not have the power to stand up for themselves, right? Foreigners, those who are poor. That's what's so shocking about these laws. It lifts those with no power to the same level as everyone else. And even today, as progressive as our world around us is, our default human nature is to still exploit the weak, right? Step on others to get ahead, to reject the outsider and sort of stick to and only serve and love our own friendship circles? Are we a people as a community, as a church, are we a people who radically care for someone who's different from us, right? Someone who steps into our church and they're not the same as us. Are we a people who radically welcome them in, make them feel like they belong here, even though they, they might not have black hair, all right? Or do we leave them in the corner, wishing that someone else would go talk to them instead, while we happily just, you know, hang out with the people that we like to do? It's all about our heart, right? You can't legislate that, right? Do we even consider, do we even care enough with the examples that I, I mentioned before? And so the point if the point isn't to rigidly follow a bunch of rules, but to show radical acceptance and care for the weak, then it makes perfect sense that those who were driving the abolition of slavery in the 18th century were Christians, right? right? They didn't just say, hey, look, slavery was okay in the Bible, so what's the big deal? I mean, it's some, some Christians actually said that. I don't want to you know, gloss over that. But the really serious ones, the ones who read the heart of the law and God's heart for those who are oppressed, they looked at what was happening in the world around them 
And, and by the way, slavery in the 18th and 19th century was nothing like what we see in Exodus. So you can't, you can't even compare to begin. Slaves back then were ripped away from their families, right? They had no rights. They belonged to their masters forever, right? Even their families. They were beaten, whipped into submission for being careless. They had no hope of ever seeing their families again after six years. And so people like William Wilberforce saw what was happening and understood that that was not the slavery that God intended. And in fact, in light of human power, it would be much better to get rid of slavery altogether. And so they did. They fought with all their strength to get rid of slavery in the British British Empire. This is what the law is meant to say to us. It's not a rigid, yes, you can have slaves. That's not what I'm talking about. But what is it? What do we see of God's character in these laws? And how are we going to radically, radically show that and live that out in our world today? Right? Remember the why. Right? Israel had been powerfully redeemed out of Egypt themselves, right? And so they must live radically to everyone around them. Same for us. We have been radically, miraculously saved out of slavery by the blood of Jesus. How much more do we need to live out radical justice? And I just want to end our sermon today with a quick look at this. Maybe we don't have time. Yeah, we don't have time. Maybe I'll just make a a comment. If you were to look at the structure of this passage, what would you notice? So even if if we begin before chapter 21, uh, right after the Ten Commandments, it's a section on altars, offerings, right? So you might call that worship. And then the bulk of what we read this morning, chapter 21, you would call that Maybe social responsibility. So you know how like uh, uh, Pete last week mentioned there was the first four commandments, sort of like loving God, and then the last six is like loving your neighbor, which is a, you know, a good way to break it down. It, it looks like we've got a similar thing here, right? Uh, chapter 21, loving your neighbor with slavery, possessions, uh, uh, ethical, uh, so- social ethical uh, laws. But then we get to Verse 18 of 22. Do not allow a sorceress to live. Anyone who has sexual relations with an animal is to be put to death. And uh, just to skim through that, this is a uh, pagan worship thing, right? It's not actually a lust thing um, back in this context. So these three verses, and whoever sacrificed to any other god um, other than the Lord must be destroyed, back to worship again. And then verses 21 onwards, it's again, widow... Uh, lending money. Verse 28, do not blaspheme God. Verse 29, do not hold back your offerings from granary. And then verse chapter 23, 1 to 9, back to social responsibility. And then uh, verse 10 onwards, Sabbath laws, and then annual festivals. So can you see what's going on here? So at first, it looks like there's a clear separation. Love God, right? This is how you do worship, and then all these laws about how you treat another. But how does it end? It ends with a complete mix. Worship, social responsibility, worship, responsibility, worship, and it ends in worship, right? So why might chapter 23 and at the end of chapter 22 
What, 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 what might that structure be telling us or teaching us? Any ideas? Right? Because in Jonah, we talked about how the structure of the text can sometimes give us a really important message about how we interpret that section of the text. So do you, do you guys have any ideas? What, why, why might this last section be like a smush mash, like a, a mix of worship and, and, and social justice? Okay, so there's, it starts with worship, and it also ends with worship, yep. So it's, it's also, yep, yep, yep. So, June, I think you were about to say something. That's okay. Uh, so maybe it was just me then. Um, with the Ten Commandments, I think um, Isaac's point stands really clear, right? Love God first, love, God, love God's people second. Jesus says that, right? Jesus says the, 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 the most important commandment is to love your God with all your might and your soul. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. But I think what the message here is in chapters 22 and 23 by mishing it all together is actually, as that is true, it is true, loving God is really important. But at the, second, at the same time, you can't actually separate the two. Does that sort of make sense? So it begins that way, love God first, and then a whole bunch of social responsibility, and then as it climaxes, uh, I don't have time to, to point it out, but the, the language climaxes, it builds through these laws. There's a repetition at, that builds momentum, and it is at this point where you see social responsibility, oh, oh, back to worship, oh, social responsibility, oh, back to worship, and it's really, really quick. It's not like clear, defined sections, and you're like, what's going on? But I think the message is, it's not like you can claim to be someone, I love God, I'm going to do all these things for God, I'm going to give money to church, I'm going to give to, uh, I'm, I'm going to spend all my time reading the Bible, right? I'm going to even go to two services this weekend or something, but claim not to care about the poor, that is incompatible. Because we've seen that in Exodus, in, in the story of Israel, right? If you are people that have been redeemed out of slavery, you must be a people that care about the oppressed. If you are a people that accept God's salvation for you, radical, when you did not deserve it, then you must be transformed to become a people that care about justice to those who are oppressed. Does that make sense? Right? You can't separate the two. Right? Because we, we, we often like to do that. And, and so politically, you might have heard the debate, you know, uh, are churches meant to spend their time preaching the gospel or, or performing social justice? Right? And, and, and some, some churches are really extreme on either end of these things, right? No, 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 we're on about the gospel. I'm not gonna, we're not going to waste time um, doing stuff um, to charities and stuff like that because, and that's not us, right? Because well, obviously today we're going to do uh, ICC, right? But we, we, we just need to be aware of that even uh, personally in our own lives. Uh, I, I would say for us, maybe the danger is let's not confine our care for the poor to once a year doing ICC. Great, we're doing it. But what about the other 364 days in the year? 
right? We, we, it's great. We're, we're coming to church. We, I, I see you guys eager to come to a live group. That's great. Keep doing that. What about our light, being light in the world? What about us providing life that people look at us and say, wow, you really care about the marginalized. You really care about that person at work who everyone despises, everyone makes jokes about them behind their back, but you stand up for them. How, how awesome would that be? Right? The question shouldn't be, should we love God more or should we love people more? Because the answer is we need to love all, right? We can't separate loving God and loving people. And so let's finish with this this morning. Loving God, worshiping God means we can't somehow separate the two from each other, particularly for those who are marginalized, those who are in a position where they might be vulnerable to abuse and exploitation. So as we worship God together, as we remember the why of our rescue, of our salvation from our slavery that we now enjoy, as we remember the character of our God, let us show radical love and justice to those around us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who, in a time where there was so much abuse and exploitation, you brought your law to show how different being in your world to being your people really is. And today we also see the same thing. Even though on the surface, you know, our world looks like it's so good, particularly in Australia, crime is low, there is Centrelink, but Lord, you know that there are still many people in our community, around the world, that are living as if they were in, in Egypt. And so, Father, we pray that as we enjoy the blessings of being your people, as we enjoy the freedom of being set free from our slavery to sin, will you mold us into a people that would have your heart, your character of caring for the lost, caring for those who aren't just spiritually lost, spiritually in darkness, but also physically, mentally. Father, help us put them in our path that we might show your love to show your glory to them, Lord. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen.